0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, cats and dogs, and flamingos everywhere wondering about knee surgery. It's Thursday at 3 o'clock, and you know what that means? It's Tea with BVP. Live from the Michigan State University campus, it's your host Bill Van Patten, A.K.A. BVP, international superstar and diva of S.L.A. And speaking of flamingos, with me are my co-hosts, who are more than just decorative long ornaments around here: (laughs) Angelica (laughs) Kramer and Walter Hopkins. Say hello. Hello,
1: everybody.
0: Hello. there you go. That's a nice that's better than last week, Walter. You were a little off with your hello last week. I was? What yeah, did I, I say? Think,
1: I didn't think you said anything actually. Yeah, you Oh you like,
0: didn't give me time to say anything well, no, last I week. No, 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 you no. just sat there and mute and you didn't say anything. So anyway, so Walter's <laughs> back. There we go. So guess what today is, everybody? Is I'm so excited. Is it something I special?
1: Don't know. Why are you so excited?
0: It's my favorite founding father's birthday. It's Thomas yeah. Jefferson's Favorite birthday. Father. Mm-hmm. And we have a couple of tidbits about Thomas Jefferson today. I've got some. I think Angelica's got some because he was just, you know, let's forget about the fact that he was a slaveholder. Okay, let's just get that out there and put it out there. We know that. That's, that was bad. But man, the guy had so much going on. What do you guys hear? Some of you don't know about Thomas Jefferson. Um, I'm going to tell you a few things about him that you don't know that are related to languages. Hmm. Huh. Cool. Um, yeah, so he's he's just he was awesome, and um, I have a surprise.
1: What's the surprise? You
0: got those chocolates from that person. We, what ha- really? No, no, Where no, are no, they? No, no. I want them. Okay, no, no, this is a different surprise. <laughs> it's about next week. Want to hear about the surprise about next week? Surprise yeah. about we next week. We have a special guest next week who will be live here in the studio, sitting in that chair over there opposite us. Ready? Who? Blaine Ray, founder of TPRS. Oh, oh, how awesome! Teaching proficiency through reading and storytelling. Blaine is coming in uh, for a couple of days' excursion doing some things. and cool. And he is dropping in. I uh, was going to uh, come into the studio that afternoon. Mikey actually was going to bring him. And, uh, Does that so mean Mikey will be here too? Uh, he'll be in the booth. He won't be here with us in the room. But um, so Blaine will be sitting here taking questions about um, TPRS. I'm going to not grill him, but I'm going to ask him a few pointed questions about some things. Um, and then people will be calling in and, and interacting with us about that. So that's going to be fun. So cool. Yeah. So uh, write that down in your calendars. Blaine Rain will be here live. Um, and it's not going to just be one-on-one with me and him. There'll still be a call-in show. So people who want to talk to Blaine can call in and ask Blaine questions. Um, face to Well, phone-to-phone, face-to-face, phone-to-mic, whatever it is, phone-to-earphones. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, we're going we have a big topic today about fluency, and I'm actually gonna uh, I'm gonna remind everybody that we have the SLA challenge question. And I'm gonna give you the question up front as soon as I get done with my little intro marks here because the, the SLA challenge question is related to fluency and I need to get it out there so somebody calls in right away. So I'm gonna give you that question in a few minutes, and the first person to make it to the microphone, uh, I'm microphone, make it to the phone uh, with the correct answer wins a prize. So Jen is in the booth waiting for a phone call. So keep your cell phone close by. We don't want you running to find it and then break a leg on the way. You'll be like those flamingos wondering about knee surgery. You guys didn't like my joke about flamingos because they're all staying on one leg. Does it hurts their knee? Okay, never mind. Okay. Do they even have knees? Yeah, they do.
1: Yeah, there's a joint. There's yeah. a joint there. I yeah, call it yeah. a knee. Yeah.
0: Okay. Anyway, and same for the <laughs> diva challenge question. I'll read that question at some point, and you'll have time to pick up, punch in our number, and say, hey, Jen, I'm calling with the answer to the diva question. Okay, so SLA question, Diva Challenge question, call in for those. And, of course, we have Angelica's Quote of the Week and Walter's Root of the Week coming up at some point during the show. What's the number to reach us? Somebody. 517-884-4321.
1: Eight eight
0: four. Four Again, Got that's, this. That's, there you go. That's 517 884 4321. Again, Joan at uh, Joan. Jen is on the lines. I, got I said Jen. And f- I read Jen her, phone. I had her name next to the phone here and I put Joan. I just combined it. That's called, by the way, that's called Fusion Effect in Psycholinguistics. Those so of you want to know what that's called. So Jen is on the phone. I'm waiting for your call. Angelica will be looking at Mixler. Mixler. Walter is looking at tweets. And I don't know what else Walter's looking at. His fingers are scrolling on the keyboard over there. So. But anyway, don't be shy and pick up the phone. It's going to be a really good topic today. Just what the heck is fluency? What's it all about? Um, So don't be shy. Call us, again, 517-884-4321. So let me give you the SLA challenge question right away because it forms part of what we want to talk about. So let me do that, and then we'll get into the topic. How's that sound? We'll get into something. (laughs) Sounds exciting. Okay. I know, Walter. You're lactating, right? Okay. So... (laughs) (laughs) that's an inside joke for those of you who don't know on the Golden Girls on the Golden Girls one time Dorothy asked her mother Sophia Petrillo mom aren't you excited and Sophia who was like Sophia was like 83 years old she turns to Dorothy and goes I'm lactating very deadpan like that it's a pretty funny line anyway
2: and Bill likes to repeat it quite I like it because I think it's
0: funny it's funny okay (laughs) it's so inappropriate it's funny okay So here's the SLA challenge question. In previous work, I, along with James F. Lee and also by myself, have defined fluency as the intersection of blank and blank, the relative contributions of each determined by context. Okay, so once again, in previous work, I, along with James F. Lee, have defined fluency as the intersection of blank and blank, um, the relative contributions of each determined by context. So see if you know what that answer is. Those of you who have read Making Communicative Language Teaching Happen or read some of my other work, remember to output some other ones. You should be able to find that or you can probably Googleize it maybe find it too. Okay. Now, yay, we're talking about fluency. Should I talk about fluency?
1: Yes, please. Get into it right away? Mm-hmm. Let's
0: get into it. We're going to be like Bruno Mars. Let's break it down.
1: Break it down. Break it
0: down. And i want to break down dancing. fluency. It's a little bit okay, here right now. Okay, so we're talking about fluency. Walter, I'm going to start with you. oh, great. I have a question for you. Are you fluent? <laughs> Please sp- don't tell me. No.
2: You like to put me on the spot, and I don't like being put on it's the spot. It's just a yes-no question. No. Do you want me to start with
1: Angelica?
0: Sure. Okay, Angelica. Yes. Are you fluent in English? Yes. Okay. Walter, are you fluent in Spanish? No. What? Yes.
1: Really? You don't think you're fluent in Spanish? Yeah, I guess I am. Of course you are. Seriously.
2: Well, well, I don't know. Ask Bill. Bill, Am I fluent in Spanish?
0: Well, the question is what? What does fluent
2: mean? Right? I know. I get the question all the time. So are you fluent in that? Well, what does fluent mean? So
0: what's my whole point? The point is that very few people, whether they're students, parents, instructors, administrators, people on the street, the lady who bags my groceries at Kroger, anyone... All these people have a working definition of fluency and flu. I mean, they don't. Very few people have a working definition of fluency or fluent. People toss this term around and think they know what it means because they have this Google-like or basic Webster definition of fluency. Okay, so or fluent. Here's what Google says when you. And actually, someone sent this in on tweet, but I already had it written out. Um, Here's what Google says when you, you research fluent. Um, or not fluent, but fluency, says the quality or condition of being fluent in particular, the ability to speak or write a foreign language easily and accurately. Um, For example, fluency in Spanish is essential. That's what the example they give. Or it means the ability to express oneself easily and articulately. But here's the question. You know where I'm going with this, right? What does it mean to express oneself easily and articulately? And doing what? So if you're expressing yourself easily and accurately, what is what does that mean and doing what? Is it talking about your favorite movie? Giving a keynote speech at a conference? So and what do the just the terms easily mm-hmm. and accurately mean in and of themselves, right? So people have this kind of vague notion. Let's look at the, let's contrast I hate to do that. I don't like to get into politics on this show, but I'm going to just do this real quick. Let's contrast the former president and the current president and their speaking styles, okay? When Barack Obama would give press conferences, but he gave a number of them, actually. He was very slow, very deliberate, lots of pauses as they thought. And sometimes the long pauses would be almost awkward because of the wheels in his head were turning, right? So was he not fluent compared to the current president where the words just seem more just tumble off his tongue um, when he's in front of the camera or when he's in front of uh, a press group? Um, I mean, most people would say, no, that those are two different kinds of fluency. And that's my whole point, that fluency is a relative concept. It's not a static concept. So when you say is someone fluent, you can't use that as a static concept. It has to be something that is contextualized. For example, I can be a fluent tourist in France. Let me go to Quebec or Paris or something. I can be a very fluent tourist, but not a fluent teacher of language acquisition in French. So I might be able to go to Quebec, for example, and make my way around and be pretty good as a fluent tourist getting on the streets and so on. But if you ask me to go teach a seminar in French, about language acquisition at the University of Laval or the University of Quebec at trois rivieres um, or something like that, I couldn't do it, okay? Because I'm not fluent enough or I'm not fluent in that domain, right? Um, and if you look at the ACTFL proficiency guidelines, you too know the ACTFL proficiency guidelines, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Do you Is the term fluent or fluency used anywhere in those guidelines? Do you remember?
1: I don't think it is. Not to my knowledge.
0: I mean, the term used is... Proficient
1: yeah, or proficiency, exactly. rather. So.
0: I scan them. I scan them very wisely. Actful stays away from the use of the terms fluent and fluency in the guidelines. And that's for a purpose, okay? Again, this is because context is part of fluency. Fluency can only be defined by the context that you're in. It's not the only thing that defines fluency. That's why I gave the SLA challenge question, which I'll repeat in a minute. Um, But it's part of it. Okay, so context is a big part of fluency. So someone asks you, Walter, are you fluent in Spanish? The answer should be what?
2: Depends on what you mean by fluent.
0: Yeah, or fluent to do what? The answer should be fluent to do what? I'm fluent to do this, but I'm not fluent to do that, right? Okay, so now... We're going to come back to that topic because it's, it's an important thing um, because, it's, again, this topic is like – remember we talked about communication before and people never work in definition of communication. Mm-hmm. And once you get one, it opens the doors and makes you think about things. Um, so let's talk a little bit about how fluency develops before we define it because uh, – let me get the SLA challenge question one more time um, and then I'm going to go on. So if you're listening, call in with this answer, please, because we need this working definition soon. Uh, in previous work, I, along with James F. Lee, have defined fluency as the intersection of blank and blank, the relative contributions of each being determined by context. Okay, so call in so we can get that. We want somebody to win a prize. I got books here for you today. We got bags to give away. all kinds of stuff. We're giving away the store. This is like the price is right. <laughs> call in, and you don't even have to spin a wheel. Okay, so how does fluency develop? Fluency in language learners develops over time much in the same way that acquisition does, right? It is Fluency is slow. It's stage-like and again, it's also dependent on the environment. Now, here's what I want you to think about in terms of fluency, those of you out there listening. A student could be fluent in the classroom at level three doing level three stuff. For example, I could be a fluent level three student in a level three classroom, but not fluent doing anything outside the classroom such as assisting immigrants in a legal office. Unless my class was about assisting immigrants in a legal office, which it probably isn't in Spanish Level 3, right? So I could be really – I could be very fluent and and get along quite well in the classroom domain of what we're doing in the classroom. So I'm fluent in that context, but I'm not fluent in the immigrant office working with uh, uh, someone who has legal issues, for example. So the idea here is that fluency only develops in context. Um, So students cannot – get out of a classroom and claim to be fluent in anything out of the domains that they are fluent in from the classroom, right? Um, They will need non-classroom context in order to develop a full range of abilities that add to their overall fluency. Because again, fluency is context dependent, just like communication. So I'm going to throw out some questions I want everybody to be thinking about, and I want you to call in. You can think about these questions and call in and say, I think I have an answer. Or you can call in and say, well, Bill, what do you think about this? But here's some questions. They're all related to how fluency develops. So in thinking about how fluency develops, what's the role of vocabulary? What's the role of syntax and morphology? What's the role or the roles of discourse and pragmatics? What's the role of sociolinguistic stuff? you know what sociolinguistic stuff means? Angelic, what does sociolinguistic stuff mean?
1: Isn't pragmatics part of sociolinguistics? It can
0: be. Some people would say it is.
1: The social aspects. Yeah,
0: it's about appropriacy. Not about accuracy, but about appropriacy. So the role of sociolinguistic stuff means are you appropriate when you use language for communication, for example. Does swearing make you fluent? Or can you be fluent in swearing and not fluent in other things? That's an interesting question. Um, (laughs) I want you to call and ask Angelica about that. (laughs) Okay. And here's a question for you. Why do two learners with the same knowledge of grammar and vocabulary, if we give them tests and about every tests, vary in terms of the fluency that they have with language at that given point in time? So I want you to call in and let's talk fluency. I know there are other questions and other things to talk about. um, And I'm sure lots of you out there have ideas about fluency. Um, This is, again, one of those topics we need to get out in the open and 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 clarify and demystify because we use it all the time and we don't want to just talk past each other. We want to make sure we know what we mean when we talk about fluency. Okay, dokies. So um, before I go to the Twitter press, can I just make a sidetrack about Thomas Jefferson since it's Thomas yes, Jefferson please. Day? Yes, please. And then I'll get back into fluency from the Twitter, the Twitter stuff. Thomas Jefferson was awesome. Did you know that he had a lifelong interest in linguistics and languages? Hmm, no. Yes, yes. He could speak, read, and write in a number of languages, huh. including French, Greek, Italian, and
1: German. German, uh huh. Um,
0: he excelled in classical learning when he was in school and so on. Uh, he learned Italian when he attended William and Mary College in Virginia. Um, and it's at that school where he became familiar with Anglo-Saxon hmm. because he became interested in common law and, the, and things underlying, of course, which eventually wound up in our constitution and so on and the Declaration of Independence. So um, he went and studied Anglo-Saxon and he owned 17 volumes of Anglo-Saxon texts and grammar and actually wrote an essay and published it on the Anglo-Saxon language. Hmm. Guy was awesome. Here's so my thing. He, he's wait, the... wait, wait, wait. There's more, Walter. I go, one more, one, more, one, more, <laughs> one more thing about Jefferson before we get back to fluency. Because we have to ask ourselves if he was fluent in the domains, too. That's another question, right? Uh, Jefferson claimed to have taught himself Spanish during his 19-day journey to France. Get a load of this, Rosetta Stone. Jefferson claimed <laughs> to have taught himself Spanish during his 19-day journey to France using only a grammar guide and a copy of Don Quixote.
1: <laughs> huh?
0: Okay, and then later on, uh, there's more stuff about Jefferson we can talk about later, about his actually, his work with um, American Indian Languages when he sent Lewis and Clark out on an expedition and so on. So we can talk about that later, if people want. And if, if anybody wants to call in about Thomas Jefferson, that's great too. Everything's, everything's open today. So back to fluency. We're, we don't know if Thomas Jefferson was fluent in all those things in, in any domains at all. But he certainly is, uh, what a founding father he was with all that interest. I wish he were around right now. Um, to promote languages. Okay, without the slaves. He, without the slaves, the been plantations and things.
2: The, your predecessor is the diva of SLA. He might have been the <laughs> <a> diva. He
0: <laughs> could have been. I don't know. All right. Okay. So um, we have uh, some stuff off the Twitter press here. Um, Luca sent out some questions. Answer in one tweet, what is the relationship between fluency and mental representation? That's a good question, Luca. Um, and then he also asked people to answer how does fluency develop. For the question about the relationship between fluency and mental representation, um, Sarah wrote, the F word isn't allowed on hashtag LangChat with a little winky eye hmm. th- icon thing um Haha, why is that and sarah says i mean of course it's allowed but i'm referring to discussions of fluency being tough to define prefer proficient is what she says interesting okay um the uh i don't know what longiness means i love his stuff that he sends in but he says the longer the mental, the stronger the mental representation the sicker the flow for the question mark go figure what that means The sicker the flow? Yeah. But here's Jeff. Jeff writes this. He goes, I think it's impossible to have fluency without mental representation, but maybe possible to have mental representation without fluency. Jeff, you just hit a nail on the head. Somebody write to Jeff. Jeff, you're going to get a prize for that. That couldn't have said it better. He said, I think it's impossible to have fluency without mental representation, but maybe possible to have mental representation without fluency. Absolutely. That's absolutely true. Is that
2: a escape rabbit, Jeff?
0: Yeah, we don't. Yeah, is that his Twitter oh, is he on there now? Well, I'm yeah, I'm just wondering. Yeah. That's a sca- Yeah, at mm-hmm. Escape Rabbit. So that's a very, very good idea, Jeff. You're right on on that. Um, and uh, Christopher says uh, neither can be directly taught. We'll get into that in a little bit later. Um, and Andrew concurs. Both cannot be explicitly taught. Um, all right. So we got some good ideas coming out there from people in the crowd. They're really, uh, they're really smart people that we have as listeners. Um, and the answer to the question about how does fluency develop, um, Longinus, in his classic style, I just like to read this guy's stuff because he's hysterical, Longinus says, the same way you get to Carnegie Hall, which is what, practice? Okay, no, we're not going to say that that fluency develops through practice, at least not in the traditional sense of practice. Um, and uh, Language, uh, Language Lay says, by building a mental representation through comprehensible input. Um Susan says, over time with practice and a willing spirit. Again, there's that word practice. Um, and then Chris says, oodles of inter- interpersonal interaction, opportunities for authentic output. The, diff- the The question here is authentic output versus practice. Are they the same thing or different? Angelica, what do you think? Authentic output versus practice.
1: What does authentic output even mean?
0: I don't know. Should we or Should we ask who said that? Who that was from... That was from, who was that? Um, that was from Chris. Señor Dinero Man. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what his, that's what his handle is. His handle is nice. at <laughs> Señor Dinero Man. Okay, all right. But these are all really good ideas. And actually, no, fluency doesn't develop through practice in traditional sense. Let's, let's, there are two kinds of practice. Let's just get this out there, too, because this is good for people to know. There's practice the way teachers and lay people define it. Practice makes perfect. Just do it over and over again. Write it on the board 10 times, you know. Say it over. Conjugate your verbs. That kind of practice. Then there's practice the way psychologists define it. And practice in psychology doesn't mean that at all. Practice... Ooh, I thought I turned my phone off. Practice in psychology um, refers to doing... um, learning to do something in the kind of context in which you have to do it. In other words... You learn to communicate not by practicing communication, but by communicating. Okay? And so you become, you work on fluency through things that. You're oh my gosh, what the hell is this? <laughs> my stupid phone. <laughs>
1: It's Siri. It's Siri. She wants to participate, too. <laughs>
0: Siri's calling in, everybody. She's going to beat you to that SLA question.
1: No kidding. Why is no one calling? What is this? But Anyway,
0: so psychologists refer to practice as doing something in the context in which you're supposed to be doing it. So you learn to drive by driving. Hmm. You don't practice driving. You drive. Now, you may consider that practicing, but—and it is— but you're actually driving while you're practicing. So the act and the practicing are one and the same. Mm-hmm. So, so fluency and communication, for example, develop by engaging in things that are the very thing you're supposed to be doing. And that's how these things develop. That's a psychological definition so of practice. So, um, so let's use practice that way and not the traditional way. All right. Okay, I'm done with Twitter press. Got <laughs> any questions? Anything going on in Mixler? How about some... Uh, uh, let's take Walter. Let's take an email question before um, we um, do your segment because you have a reading this week, right? Indeed. All right. Do we have a question on on email? Sure. Let me. Uh,
2: I think you've you've kind of addressed this, but let's let's see what you have to say a bit more specifically. This is from Summer, and Summer is wondering if you could give her a definition of what, what's the difference between fluency.
0: And proficiency? Um, proficiency is something that is measured by a test or some kind of assessment. Fluency is something that's not measured by a test, but measured by success in doing something. Right? Okay, so here's an example. And here's a metaphor for this kind of stuff. Um, under proficiency, you can either make an omelet or you can't. Or you might be able to um, do an, uh, learn to make an omelet in stages. And so you're a novice omelet maker, and then you're an intermediate omelet maker, and then you're an advanced omelet maker. We can measure what that means, right? But then look at this. And Fluency works this way. Walter works at Denny's and Angelica works at the Bellagio.
1: (laughs) (laughs) There, thanks a lot.
0: (laughs) And I go into Denny's and I order an omelet, and Walter makes my omelet. And I go into Bellagio on a vacation, and then Angelica's back in the kitchen; she makes my omelet. Those two omelets are qualitatively different, because to be to, to be fluent in making an omelet. And those two things require different things. And so Walter could be fluent in making an omelet at Denny's, but not fluent in making an omelet at uh, Bellagio. And there are other issues that, that, that I'm not going to talk about because I was waiting for someone to call with with the SLA challenge question. If nobody calls in the next minute. I'm going to have Walter answer the question, and I'm going to give the prize to Walter.
1: Ooh. Yeah.
0: I guess I better look it up. No kidding. Yeah, I <laughs> <mean>. <laughs> you better look it up. You better look it up. I'm going to look it up. So, so, so getting back to that question, who was that question from again? Summer. Summer. So getting back to Summer's question, I, I look at proficiency as something that, that's, that tries to be measured and quantified, whereas fluency is looking at the success of something. So Walter's omelet's a success at Denny's, and um, uh, Angelica's omelet is a success at Bellagio. If they switch places and try to do the same thing, Walter would get fired for making a lousy omelet for a Denny-style omelet for Bellagio. No offense, Denny's. Um, and Angelica, the, the, the person might come along and say, what the hell are you doing? You're taking so long. This is Denny's. No, stop doing that. The, the omelet's supposed to be on the table in five minutes. And so Angelica is not fluent in making an omelet at Denny's. She's got she's to gotta refluentize herself. And Walter has to refluentize himself in making omelets in these different contexts, even though they're both making omelets, right? you got basic ingredients, eggs, vegetables, who knows what.
2: Did you just make that up, f- refluentize?
0: Yeah, I just did. <laughs> isn't, Eng- isn't English wonderful? Jefferson would have loved that. Actually, actually, probably not. He was kind of a purist when it comes to some of that stuff. But that's the only thing about him that I could criticize. But anyway. Okay. Um, so, um, any other questions? Anything going on, Mixler? Nobody cares about fluency? I thought this was going to be one of the hot topics. I thought Carol well, would be calling in. Her, com- her, co- her company is called Fluency Matters, right?
1: Right. Very yeah. true. Uh- and then
0: there are people I talk about using, using comprehensible to gain fluency and using this. And I thought people would go, oh, but fluency, that's a good time we calling about that. So call in about fluency or call in about something else.
1: Karen wants you to know that today is not only Thomas Jefferson's birthday, but there is another type of special day today. Do you know what it is?
0: Uh, It's Good Thursday
1: hmm. That's not what she was talking about Oh, Well,
0: it's Good Thursday
1: That's very true I will butcher the Spanish language now Because it is El Dia Internacional del Beso Is that how you pronounce that?
2: That was excellent, that so Angelica good. I'm Thank impressed you. I'd give you an A plus for
0: fluency <laughs> <laughs> So it's the International Day of
1: Kisses Kisses
0: and kissing yeah, I did not know Who that. Who
1: knew, right? I'll have to tell Gosh. my wife
0: later, you know. <laughs> <laughs> She'll say, shave the beard off. I'm going to go home. I'm I, After this, I'm going to go home and play that um, Prince song.
1: Oh, yeah? Oh, yes.
0: Be some no, Walter, stop, please. Be, okay, sorry. <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> Okay, so while we're waiting, I'm going to go ahead and throw out the um, Diva Challenge question too, because maybe somebody will call in and we can force them to talk oh, about yeah. the influence. Oh, yeah. Good idea. So now we're going to have two ch- questions out there the SLA Challenge question, and you have the SLA Challenge question is absolutely critical to our discussion today. Got to, let me do that question again just to, 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 to poke people, and then the Diva Challenge question will come right after that. SLA challenge question. In previous work, I, along with James F. Lee, have defined fluency as the intersection of blank and blank, the relative contributions of each determined by context. And no, it's not the intersection of Hollywood and Vine. No. As the intersection of blank and blank, <laughs> the relative contributions of each being determined by context. Okay. So call in with that answer. Okay. And here's the deal challenge question. You guys ready for this? Yes. Okay. Bring it on. It has nothing to do with Thomas Jefferson. Hmm. Dakota Fanning. Everyone knows who Dakota Fanning is, right? Walt, do you know who Dakota Fanning I is? I do. Oh, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm proud of you. Okay, Dakota Fanning starred in this movie, of course. Wait, is she a diva already? She's da- so young. It's not about her. The question's not about her. Okay, Dakota good. Fanning starred in The Secret Life of Bees with not one, not two, but three pop divas. Name two of them.
3: Hmm.
0: Okay, so Dakota Fanning... Start in the secret life of bees with not one, not two, but three pop divas. Name two of them. One who got billing over Dakota Fanning, by the way. Okay. So if you have the answer to that question, call it. Mm. Okie have Oh, we have a call on the line. Walter, your segment's going to have to wait till we take this call. Okay. okay. I think I can handle that. I think you can handle that, too. I, don't want- I know you're sitting there lactating, ready to, to get your <laughs> reading in. Okay. We have somebody on the line. Chris, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Hey, Chris, where are you calling from? Chicago. Yay! Here's a hint for the Diva Challenge question for people out there. One of the pop (laughs) divas was also in the movie Chicago. How's that for a hint? Mm, Well done. (laughs) Okay, Chris, uh, how's life in Chicago right now?
3: Life in Chicago is great. Lots of Cubs stuff and whatnot. I took my daughter the other day to Humboldt Park to see uh, Javi Baez from the Cubs.
0: uh, Oh, great. They got their rings yesterday. Did you you see that?
3: I did not see him get his ring, but uh, yeah. I saw him at Humboldt Park on Monday. So, yeah, pretty so. good
0: stuff. Pretty good stuff. But,
3: yeah. What so, part of Chicago um, Bill, are you impressed? I, I actually, um, I actually taught at UIC for a year in the Spanish department. Oh, so and, we have that connection. Uh, okay. Yeah. So I, I got the Usole Viento and, and loved it. Absolutely loved it, and. and Can you say that again two times my, really loud? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. In fact, I love teaching from Soliviento so much that uh, me and my Spanish one colleague at the, the high school I teach at, we base our teaching off kind of the same methodology where we have students do uh, a lot of tasks and they do a lot of, you know, quizzing about each other. And, and we learn a lot about each other as classmates and whatnot. Good. And, and
0: so it's good for you. Do you, wa- you get to watch the movie at all in your class?
3: Uh yeah yes good. yes we did good and good so good that was very very useful so, okay Chris what are you calling um, about mm-hmm. well I uh, I put put up that I'm Senior De Niro man by the way
0: oh, oh <laughs> Senior Dinero <De> man <laughs> nice gonna, handle so I'm gonna go back to yes. your 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 twit. I mean your tweet <laughs>
1: <laughs> sure
3: sure yeah and uh, well I I was just pointing out the uh, the fact that um. Uh, Output is, is not, it's not drilling, it's not just reciting things out loud, but it's, it's looking for, fluency develops when, um, when students have the opportunity to communicate about real things, about authentic topics, things that interest them and, mm-hmm. um, and are important to them, and so, you know,
0: right. real right. stuff. Right, right? so, so it's, that's true, you know, fluency in reading develops through reading, fluency in writing develops through writing and reading, right. and then right. speaking and so on, it develops through communication mm-hmm. and context in which you communicate. so yeah,
3: right right exactly. So a couple weeks ago um, you uh, you were willing to to read a blog entry that I wrote I, I think I posted it on Twitter um, about the explicit teaching of grammar. Um, and uh, I remember Walter encouraged me to call in and I couldn't that day, but I'm calling in today. and uh, I don't know I don't know if you remember it or not, but to uh, I guess for the listening audience I I'm still at a place in my teaching career where I feel that there is a place for explicit grammar teaching. And now I I know I'm talking to the diva of SLA, so I'm definitely willing to be corrected and guided and taught and whatnot. So, um, but uh, I still feel that there's, there's a place for explicit grammar teaching in, um, in the language classroom. And uh, I, I feel that, the 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 way that it's taught and the way that it's presented and the context that it's presented in and with how much depth it's presented and and what things we decide to present i think are very important and very key to considering how grammar is taught but um i i do still feel that that grammar can be included in in instruction in the classroom um and uh, in in fact, Bill, um, I read your book, Making Communicative Making Communicative Language Teaching Happen, mm-hmm. and I actually read that at UIC. And um, there are a couple pages here that that I like you to comment on uh, when you're talking about processing instruction. And uh, one thing that that you said here is um, so on page 142 it says the result is what Van Patten, 1996, has termed processing instruction. Uh, processing instruction consists of three basic components. And, and the first thing that, that is listed here is learners are given information about a linguistic structure or form. Um, and then on the next page, you start to give an example here um, with uh, past tense, I believe. And it says here uh, after learners receive a brief explanation of how past tense endings work they might first practice attaching the concept of pastime to verb forms and activities such as the following. So I guess um, I I hear you say a lot that explicit grammar teaching is, is not effective and it doesn't produce proficiency and fluency and so on and so forth. And so could you comment on what exactly you mean by giving learners information about a linguistic structure or form and or giving students a brief explanation of how past tense endings work and then going into
0: other classroom activities? Um, sure, it, it, The um, mm-hmm. in that example you're citing in all my work in processing instruction, um, mm-hmm. the explanation is incredibly brief. So you just tell learners, for example, in the case of Spanish preterite endings, which I think is the example comes from. Um, mm-hmm. You give them one or two examples, you say the stress shifts from the stem to the ending, and the endings look like this, boom, that's it, done. Okay, um, that takes over okay. 30 seconds. Um, and okay. uh, then the activities, of course, are all interpretive. They're input-oriented activities and not output activities. So there's no practice um, mm-hmm. that, is, uh, that is traditional in the sense of traditional practice. What you're learning to do is, is attach form in- to meaning while you're processing input sentences. Mm-hmm. Now, um, the, the reason I say that explicit teaching doesn't do much, I put that into PI um, to make teachers feel good. Like you, because I noticed you use the word "feel" like four times in your introductory comments. Okay. And mm-hmm. so teachers need to feel good about what they do. But the research we've done—how many studies on PI over the years? Like fifty studies, um, and half the studies have to do with what happens when you mu- remove the explicit information, the explicit instruction. And guess what, Chris? Mm-hmm. Nothing. Mm-hmm. Learners learners are no better off before or after their interaction with structured input activities, than whether they get explicit practice or don't. uh, Explicit information or don't. Um, Mm -hmm. And and that's a pattern that we've shown consistently in our kind of research, but it's a pattern we see in other kind of research as well. And again, Mm -hmm. it all comes down to, you also use the term grammar a couple of times, and unfortunately, in the book you're, you're talking about Jim and I didn't go into detail. I go into my new book that's coming out in July. I go into more detail about the nature of language. We didn't do that in that book, and that, that's a fault of ours in that book, which is why I'm not revising mm-hmm. that. One of the reasons I'm not revising that book. But what is grammar? I mean, you talk about grammar. So what is grammar? That, you know that begs the question that we've talked about here a lot is what is language? And so mm-hmm. um, explicit information and teaching can't go anywhere if it can't become the thing that winds up in your head. Mm-hmm. So uh, what governs what winds up in your head? Um, so mm-hmm. people who, um, to, who, who think or feel, to use your term, that grammar somehow, uh, grammar, uh, there's a place for grammar, explicit grammar teaching is important. I always ask them, why do you think it's important? What do you think is happening in the learner's head? What happens to that information you give them? What does it do? to either processes or processing that we know are central to language acquisition. You have to tell me that. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. I can't can't understand what you mean. Because in my head, language acquisition is a set of processes. It's It's not that you get a product and you take that product and you convert it to something else. So product would be the explicit knowledge, explicit information, and somehow you convert that into something in your head. That's not how it works. Processes and processing in your head about language are quite different from that. And I have a model in my, in my brain that's worked out based on all the research and evidence over the last 40 years, right? And so that processing can't make use of explicit information. Um, and so that's why I continually say that for those two reasons, there's empirical evidence and there's theoretical evidence about why or theoretical positions why explicit information is of minimal value. Now, it makes people feel good it makes students think they're learning something. It gives you something to quantify, and people go, oh, look, I'm learning something, even though they're not, but they think they are. And, if, you know, to that extent, it might be valuable for an effective reason, but... Um,
3: I guess I, I could see explicit grammar teaching organizing the the information and the input students get. So, for example, if, if we want students, if we're giving students input with present tense in Spanish, for instance, and... You, know, you have the endings oh amosan. Awesome. and um, I, I would say that that presenting them a verb chart can can help organize the the input that's that's coming at them and, and help it help them see what they're learning in an organized fashion but you um, see they're not give them peg- but
0: mm-hmm. they're not but they're not learning those verb forms that's my whole point see that's that's where you and I mm-hmm. are on different sides of the of the universe on this is those mm-hmm. verb, that chart does not wind up in anybody's head. What you get as a language learner is not O, oh, AS, a ah, AMOS, AIS, AN. You get mm-hmm. COMO, VIVO, HABLO, tom. You get these chunks, you get these words that mean I drink, I live, I da 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 da. And over time what happens is your language-making capacity learns how to strip off endings as it needs them to create with language down the road. And you can you don't have a chart in your head. It's not like you're, you have this chart and you insert a stem and an ending together while you're speaking or, or, or even listening. It doesn't work that way. It can't work that way. I mean, it would your language ability would halt if it worked that way. Um, and so, and it's not that, and it's not that, and again, the data and the input, is, the data and the input aren't the o, oh, as, ah, an, ah, e, o, oh, o, oh, those end, it's not those endings. The data are the mm-hmm. words that learners hear everything. Remember, grammar flows out from the development of a lexicon, um, and not the other way around. And so, sure. and so, and and that's why. Again, um, this has to do with research we know, and 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 as well as theory and the, and the research confirming some of the theories. Some of the theory is still speculative, but there, you know, the evidence is emerging. I think on on that side of things too, with with the role of the lexicon. So. Um, mm-hmm. So again, when you talk about that organizing stuff, um, I'm hesitant to agree with you because... Um, in fact, I won't agree with you sure. because my learners, if they're focused on the verb endings, that's not the point. The point is focusing on the words. And, and, and even in our work on processing, as I said, when we take that stuff away, they're no worse mm-hmm. off for it. They still get to the same place at the end of the treatment than the people who got it. Um, so... Okay.
3: yeah, I, f- I figure even in... And I know... This is just anecdotal evidence and but i know that for my own language learning uh, process and journey and, and even that of my wife's like i i'm more of an analytical learner and i know there is this whole conversation about if they're learning styles or are there learning preferences or is that even a conversation to be had but i i like to see like even going back to the example about present tense like i like to see the 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 chart where if if I'm doing something it ends in O, if you're doing something it, it, it ends in os and and uh, I guess if if I just had to extract or learn all that from input coming at me and if I had to piece that all together myself, I would find it pretty difficult to do that. But but if I can see visually, well this this, this is how it's structured. There's 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 a method to the madness I feel that, that that would help a lot of learners, and, and it certain, certainly helped me in my yeah. language it
0: helps terms. your explicit learning. It doesn't help your implicit learning. That's the difference. Okay. I don't disagree with what you just said. When you mm-hmm. find yourself as an analytical learner, that's because you're, you're a highly explicit learner. You like to do things explicitly. But that's mm-hmm. ultimately not how stuff winds up in your head. Um, mm-hmm. And, again, as I said earlier giving people stuff makes them feel good and having that stuff you just said it makes you feel good it helps you organize stuff but again mm-hmm. you're, I'm going to say this one more time Chris is that I mm-hmm. think you think that what you're looking at on the page that you're studying is what winds up in your head and I'm challenging saying it's not sure and mm-hmm. so you've got a sense of control but your brain is already doing something that you're, that's independent of what your sense of control is and that doesn't mean you shouldn't do that if it makes you feel good do it but at the same time, you should know that your brain is doing its own thing anyway, independently of what you're doing as control. Um, yeah. And and that's true for any kind of lawyer. You're analytical, not analytical, I mean your brain with language is going to do what it's going to do, independent of how you try to control it. You cannot control okay. the language learning mechanism. You can't. And you can't make sure. it learn something that is not learnable. And a lot of that a lot of that information a lot of the rules and, and and how things are organized on books and pages it's just not real stuff it's just it's psychologically and linguistically unreal so mm-hmm. and that's a problem but everybody, so, everybody believes it is mm-hmm. so
3: mm-hmm. right so so even when you say in here in making language uh, communicative language teaching happen that it, there, there really isn't a pedagogical purpose or a learning purpose for, Giving learners information about a linguistic structure or form, it really is more effective.
0: Yep, that's is, what I would say. That's your idea. That's what I would say. Okay, and okay. It, the people who don't need it, it's, they're not hurt by it. People who think they need it are fine, but the, mm-hmm. but the the, the 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 what really drives the learning mechanism is the input data that people get over time. So, mm-hmm. right. Chris, I got to let you go. I got another caller okay. on the phone here, so I appreciate that call. Thank you, call. Much. Thank you so it. much. And yes. I did look at your blog, by the way, and so I'm glad you called in. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I'm going to yeah. encourage you to call again. You should call in next week when when uh, Blaine is here because I'm sure he has a lot to say about this as well. Oh, so wow. So he looks. Yeah. At, he and I look at All it differently, right. um, but not that differently. So. Okay, great. Okay. Thanks so much for the dialogue. Appreciate it. Oh, sure, Chris. Thanks a lot. Enjoy Chicago. Right. Have fun with the Cubs. Yep. Okay. Will do. Bye, Chris. Bye, thanks for coming, thanks Chris. Bye-bye. That was a good call. I like Chris. That was, that was, that was good. Um, I like people to ask the hard questions and make me think out loud. Um, but he's, he's typical. I hear a lot of that from analytical people. And a lot of teachers are mm-hmm. like that. That's why they get into languages. Mm-hmm. They're fascinated mm-hmm. by the way language works. Like, like Jefferson was like that. Jefferson was fascinated by structure. But ultimately Jefferson himself had to go. If he really wanted to learn language, had to do. I mean, look, he was reading Don Quixote. He was getting written input. So anyway. Um, Luca, do you mind if I do uh, the, the next call rather than taking Walter's segment? So, um, they're not ready. They're not ready? No. Okay. So
2: I guess you have to, you're stuck with me.
0: All right. Okay. There's a glitch on the phone. Okay. So Walter, go ahead. Give us your segment. You got a little reading for us, Walter? Or a little
2: reading? reading? Well, I have reading. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, I love when these language educators come out in the mail because they're so mm-hmm. easy to use in my reading. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I'm actually going to say there's a language educator who's put out by Actful here, uh, just, a. I don't know what did I get it a day or two ago in my mailbox maybe you've gotten it maybe you haven't yet and some really interesting things to read in there interesting reads whether you are on board 100% with what they what they uh, what they're talking about there or not but um I'm going to just bring us to one toward the back here and uh, it's entitled Putting grammar in its place to foster proficiency developments written by Nicole Scherf and Tisa Graff. And uh, so I would say read the whole the whole language educator, because I think it's an interesting read, nevertheless. But lots of talks a lot lots of talking about can-do statements. And uh, one of the things here that I thought was a good quote, though, it says: curriculum should be determined by communicative objectives and not the grammar the textbook deems necessary to be covered. So we decide what are good communicative objectives and goals for our classes, not the textbook. So uh, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That's in the Language Educator just came out here
0: a couple days ago. So get your copy. Yeah, that's actually a good read. We might talk about that in a show down the road here because um, um, the people are talking tying that into, uh, I think, core practices and leveraged leverage teaching and so on. So, Good. Good read, Walter. I agree. Language Educator does some good stuff. I like what they do. Indeed. Yeah. Um, okay. All right. Uh, no, now we have a caller on the line, right? Okay. So we have Esther on the line. Esther, are you there?
1: Yes, I am.
0: Hey, Esther. I where am you,
1: excited.
0: Where are you calling from? <laughs>
1: uh, Portland, Oregon.
0: Portland, Oregon. Wow. And way out on the West Coast. Yay. All right. Yeah. Okay. You're, you're going to answer the SLA challenge question? Yes, that's right. Wow. And Good for you. Let me go ahead let me go ahead and read the question again for everybody and then you can answer it, okay? Okay. All right. In okay. previous work, I, along with James F. Lee, have defined fluency as the intersection of blank and blank, the relative contributions of each determined by context. What goes in those blanks, Esther? Speed and accuracy. Ding 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 ding.
2: Yes yes, 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 yes. Okay. So, so sir, I was really hoping I'd get the prize though, so I'm not sure I'm glad you called in. <laughs> <Dylan. laughs>
1: I've been, I've
0: been uh, listening to the shows for some months, but today is the first time I had
3: the I got really brave to call. Oh,
0: so. well, well, we're glad you for did. You. Yes. Good for you. And yeah. see, and that's I'm glad you answered the question cuz that's so critical to talk about about fluency has to be has to be defined by how fast you do something and how fluent you do it. And this is a psychological definition. If you go into psychological literature, this is what they talk about. But again, um, speed and accuracy are defined by context. Go back to that omelet thing with Mm -hmm. Walter and Angelica. You get an omelet really fast at Denny's. You get an omelet a lot slower at Bellagio. And there's a reason for that, (laughs) because speed is less important at Bellagio than accuracy, whereas Denny's, speed is more important than accuracy. Just throw that omelet on a the plate and then he's You know, people eat it. Whereas the Bellagio, there has to be a look to it. It takes time. It has to be fluffy, all kinds. Of, and so, you know, so speed and accuracy are changed depending on the context. And it's true for language. So Barack Obama is, is mm. slow and deliberate when he does press conferences and very. But then when he's talking to his daughters, he's like blah, 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 blah. Right? And so <laughs> speed and accuracy. Well, good for you, Esther. I'm glad yeah. you called in. You're ready for a prize? I'm going to send you two prizes yeah. today. I'm going to send you, really? um, I'm going to send you. by the way, we didn't get Chris's information. I was going to send him a copy of Whisper of Clouds from Chicago. But I'm going to send um, Esther a copy of uh, Dust Storm, my stories from Lubbock, and you're going to get a Tea with BPP bag with that. How's that? Perfect, wonderful. Great. Oh, I'm very excited. <laughs> great. Thank you very much. Okay, all right. Thanks okay. so much for calling us. Thank Esther. you, Esther, and have a great rest of your afternoon. Thank it's only you. 1.50 there, bye so bye. you got okay. Bye-bye. Be good. Bye. bye, 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 bye. All right. <laughs> I love that call. Okay, so that goes to her and a back Great. Okay. Angelica, you have a quote for us. Give us your quote.
1: I do indeed, in honor of Thomas Jefferson's Yay! birthday. I actually have two quotes. Quote number 1. Whenever you do a thing, act as if all the world were watching.
2: You see that, Walter?
1: <laughs> mhm.
2: I'm so confused. Think
1: about what you do, dude. We're watching you. Whenever
2: yep. you do a thing, just anything.
1: Yep, anything. Anything you do.
0: Act as if the whole mm-hmm. act as if all the world, all the world, right? Yep,
1: all the world were watching. Uh-huh. Good. And the other one is also by Thomas Jefferson. Nothing can stop the man with the right mental attitude from achieving his goal. Nothing on earth can help the man with the wrong mental attitude. Ooh,
0: yes. In other words.
1: Yeah, it's a timely quote, I'm afraid.
0: Yeah, it's a timely quote. It's a be positive and have the right attitude toward people around you in life and so on. Absolutely. Don't talk about
1: sorry. timely. Yes, oh, my gosh. Sorry.
0: All right. Yay, Thomas Jefferson. Okay, we've, we've officially celebrated Thomas. Let me say one more thing about Thomas Jefferson <laughs> before we go yes, to Sean. Yes, please do. This is my last thing. Okay. Um, People don't know this about Thomas Jefferson, but he also collected and understood a number of American Indian vocabularies, and he instructed Lewis and Clark—remember, because it was under Jefferson, we got half Mm -hmm. of the northern um, territories—instructed Lewis and Clark to record and collect various Indian languages during the expedition. When Jefferson removed uh, from Washington after his presidency, he packed 50 Native American vocabulary lists in a chest and transported them on a riverboat back to Monticello. Um, so um, he was an avid, avid advocate, advocate of languages and stuff. Great. Okay, we have uh, another phone call coming in. Uh-oh, uh-oh, I see Sean from North Carolina. Is this the Sean from North Carolina? <laughs>
1: It is, Bill. How
0: are you? <laughs> hey, I'm good, Sean. How are you?
3: Great, great. Excited to uh, finish up school here in a couple of weeks.
0: All right. Well, good for you. So what do you—oh, oh, I see that you're calling about the Diva Challenge qu- uh, question, right? Yes. Okay. Well, let me give that question real quick, and then um, we will uh, see if you get it correct. So, Dakota Fanning starred in The Secret Life of Bees with not one, not two, but three pop divas. Name two of them, Sean, can you?
3: So you've got Alicia Keys and Jennifer Hudson.
0: Alicia Keys and Excellent. Jennifer Hudson. And do you, if you get a double prize, if you can name the third one.
3: Third one is Queen Latifah. And yeah.
0: which one of those also was in Chicago?
3: Uh, I'm not 100% sure.
0: Okay. Well, it was Queen Latifah.
3: Okay, that would make sense considering she, I think, did a show there a couple of times. But yeah, okay.
0: Yeah, so Queen Latifah was in the movie Chicago and got a, a nominated for Best Supporting Actress but got beat, okay. out, got beat out by, what's her name? Catherine Zeta-Jones. Zeta and Jennifer oh, okay. Hurt, Jennifer Hudson, of course, has a Best Supporting Actress for her role in, do you know what movie? Oh, I don't. Man. All these diva questions. Dream Girls, gosh. Okay, Sean. I can tell you just Googleized that you don't really know your data. I
3: did. Bill, huh. Bill's an encyclopedia of human yeah. knowledge, and I'm I'm just I'm a sorry. Googleizer. Just
0: uh, a <laughs> no Googleizer.
2: I can understand.
0: Okay, well, thanks for that, Sean. Sure um on. you will get a present sent to you. Um, I you called before? Did you get a present for something before? Or did you just call, in? I don't remember. So what uh,
3: you... I called last week, and uh, Dustin and I have been talking about what I should be receiving.
0: Oh, okay. In a while. All right, well then, uh, so we will, we, will, we will get you something. Um, okay, so, all right, well, thanks for calling in. We appreciate that. You're welcome. And keep your, um, keep your state legislator from legislature from doing something stupid, okay? I know, <laughs> um, right? Yeah, they're at it again. They're at it again. But good thing the governor would veto anything they do right now, so good.
3: Yeah, they finally upgraded big time in that position. So. Okay,
0: good. All right, well, thanks a lot. Okay, Sean, take care. All right, guys. Okay. All the best. Right. Bye bye, Sean. Yay, Sean. Yay, we gave away prizes today. That's good. Um, okay, so, uh, real quick, just want to remind everybody about that SLA challenge question because it's part of our topic of fluency today. That we have defined, James Lee and I, borrowing from the work of psychology, by the way, we didn't just make this up, uh, ha- have defined fluency in language acquisition and language learning as the intersection of speed and accuracy. But the contributions of which are defined, again, by context. I just cannot remind people enough how context is important, not just to acquisition and to communication, but to development fluency. Context is tied into everything we do when it comes to languages. So uh, again, you can be fast in one context and sloppy, and that's fine. You can be slow but accurate in another context, and that's fine. You can be fast and sloppy, slow and slow. I mean, context, it just depends. Okay, so that's why I can be a tourist in France and be fluent because my speed and accuracy are, are accepted in certain ways, um, in certain contexts, but not in others. Okay, um, anything on Mixler, Angelica? Anything coming in? Nope. Nothing, nothing. Walter, give me one more email. We've got like two minutes before, uh, okay. before we have to hang up. I've got something here. You can make a quick question.
2: Yeah, it says, respected TESOL researcher, Palm Nation, says that about one quarter of curriculum of a curriculum should be devoted to fluency development activities, activities that he believes promote the fluent use of known language items. Does BVP agree? Um, no. And this is from Stephen, by the way. I don't think I said that.
0: No, because I, I don't agree with Paul Nation, and I'll tell you why. Because it sounds componential? Comp- 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 wow, I don't think
1: so. Is that the word? So. No, that the word it, componential?
0: it sounds like... You learn something, and then you practice it to get fluent. And that's not what we're talking about at all. You don't learn something and then practice to get fluent. You're engaging in communication all the time, so you're constantly working on fluency, not two-thirds of the time or one-third of the time or three-quarters of the time. It's, your class from beginning to end should be about fluency because fluency is a byproduct of communication. It's a byproduct of everything you're doing in the context of what you're learning. So, so I do disagree. That's a good question. Um, Good question, Stephen. And thank there's you, Stephen. your answer. There's your answer. Um, I'll probably hear from Paul about that, <laughs> but that's okay. Um, but again, I think it assumes a more traditional curriculum where you learn something and then you practice it. You learn something and you practice it. Um, and if you believe in that model, well, then it's true. But I don't believe in that model, so that's why I think it's not true, because I have evidence that that's not how language acquisition or fluency develop over time. Okay. Um, are we done? Do uh, we have no Mixler, no nothing comp- coming in? Okay. All right. Should I do one more thing on Jefferson and then we'll wrap up? Yes. I thought you were already done with Jefferson. Well, because we have like, we have like half a minute before I start doing my thank yous. Um, did you know, speaking of fluency, this is relevant to our topic, Jefferson was not an outstanding orator and preferred to communicate through writing or remain silent if possible. Instead of delivering his State of the Union address himself, Jefferson wrote the annual messages and sent a representative to read them aloud to Congress, huh. Huh. which continued as tradition until Woodrow Wilson, by the way. OK, there we are. We're done. OK. story do acknowledgments. We want to thank our technical producer, Daniel Trago, our media producer, Luca Giappone, the talented and trusted intern who's handling our calls now, Jen. Um, our uh, muscle man who's there manning the uh, booth back there with everybody else, Dustin DeFelice We want to thank the College of Arts and Letters at MSU, especially our Dean Christopher Long. As a reminder the ideas and opinions expressed in this program do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Letters, any of our sponsors or any other official entity of Michigan State University. And of course we thank all of you listeners out there as well a big shout out to Chris who called in, that was brave for him to call in and and ask me those challenging questions. I like that. Thank you, Chris. Uh, And of course, we will be back next week at the same time and day with our special guest Blaine Ray. Until then, have a great weekend. It's a holiday weekend. Take care of yourself. Have fun with family and friends. And happy second language acquisition to everybody. Everybody.
1: Auf Wiedersehen. Bis nächste Woche. Schönes Wochenende.
0: Oh look, she's fluent in German. Am I I
1: though? I am don't know. I, in and, what context?
0: And in the context of saying goodbye, you are. Oh,
1: okay. Fair
2: enough. I and I definitely am not. You're not. In
1: Spanish,
2: what can you do? It? Adios, amigos.
0: No, oh. not adios. <laughs> Sounds like you're never going to see them again. Hasta yet. luego. Hasta la próxima vez. Hasta la próxima. Hasta la
1: próxima. Oh, Hasta so la totally próxima.
0: Not All right. Serious. Okay, kids. Oh, That's for it. Oh, por favor. Goodbye, <laughs> everybody. Favor, Have a mean? great weekend. Por favor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, where's my vodka?